Fermanagh has as a mood of its own to me. Do you know? I suppose it's the lake mood. But they did have these old customs, and they quietly observed them, and still observed them. And they use old tools and old implements still. As a matter of fact, now, if you were in Listener's Gale, there's a man there from Derry Lane as a pub, Pat, a good friend of mine, Pat Cassidy of the Cornwall Bar. And Pat, quite casually, because he was interested, set up a private museum in the corner of a room. Well, what has happened to this museum? It has spread now to about three or four rooms. So much so that during the ex exposition in Japan there, was it last year or the year before, Pat was requested to send out a part of this, which he did, and there it was exhibited as for man. Pat has a great folk museum, there's no doubt of it, and he has brought to light many of the old things, of the old... Uh, instruments and the old weapons that were used in Fermanagh long and long ago, such as, uh, uh, indeed I saw many things up there with them, um, even to the straddling mats that used to be used on the on the donkeys long ago for, for bringing turf from the bog. All that, he has all that stored up there and many weapons too that, that uh, you know, just it's hard to mention them all, but he certainly has a collection up there that is well worth uh, uh, anyone coming and having a look at them for themselves. There's no doubt of it, he has. And uh, Pat will have no, he'll have no uh, hesitation in showing you all these things. And as well as that, he'll explain to you what uh, they really were for. Because uh, Pat uh, was a countryman himself. I'm Pat Cassidy, here at the Corner House in Listen's Gear. Me and the wife owns this place, and we come here in 1960. When uh, we lived in Wales, before we come here, we lived in Newport. And the year before that, I was out in New Zealand. So I come home tired and got married and went back to England. Then we went up to Wales, and uh, uh, the wife's father bought this pub for us here at the Corner House. It belonged to uh, the Maguires in the early stages and a man called Tom Maguire owned this house in 1896 and uh, it was only leased down the years until 1960 when we bought it, the wife's father bought it. And now, when I was young, I used to come from the Derry Lynn area across the lake in a cot and we used to bring the cattle over here, any few cattle we'd have to sell, we'd have to come to a fair here. We often come over here with the horse and cart and the pork, what they call pork, they were dead pigs and we sold them down in that market down there that was the pork market. Now, there was another market up here, and uh, before the war, I used to come here with a load of potatoes and sell them once or twice a year, and sell possibly some cabbage plants and all. So uh, we always had a story in the Derry Lynn area that uh, the ballad was made on the stone outside of Dan Murphy's door. And when I come here, we got a stone made, a replica, for to represent Dan Murphy. Now, Dan Murphy, uh, stone was sang by Johnny Patterson. He was the man who was making this ballad in the early years and he stayed in the house called Bob MacDonald's. Uh, we were down on the lower end of the town there, it was on the left hand side, and when that house was a selling, there was a photograph of Johnny Patterson in the house 
and a man called Matt Riley, who was the auctioneer, got the photograph. And Alan Tizzle, a great friend and historian, told me about the photograph to look about it. So when young Riley, uh, who was a vet now in Monaghan, left the town, he left me the photograph of Johnny Patterson. So we have it framed inside uh, in our collection. When our day's work was over, we'd meet there in the winter or summer the same the boys and the girls all together then would join in some innocent game dan murphy would bring down his fiddle while his daughter looked after the store the music did ring and sweet songs we did sing on the stone outside Dan Murphy's door. At the, at the house where the stone was, they used to dance in the evenings, you see, so Dan Murphy, you see, would come out and play the fiddle. So that is a, a replica. A, a man they call Vincey Martin, who lives up in the town, he is a retired man, he made that stone for me last year. We had other stones made before and they were damaged with the bombs. We had a few bombs in this town and they damaged our stone, so we had to get a new one. It used to lift up and hop and break bits off it. They'll have trouble breaking Collins. that one, I think. Ah, that's a good way to do it. Heavy one. Two yeah. or three strong men. Well, we'll men. go inside then. Well, we'll, we'll go see in what here. the folk museum is like. Well, this is a man here, he, 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 he come from Temple Winners time. He's a Mr. King, he's a great friend of mine here. Hello, Mr. Mr. King, how are you? Oh, God, you're well, yourself. Well, we're going to see the folk museum here. Cute. <laughs> what do you think of it? You've seen it yourself. The folk. Oh, he was down the, the museum. museum. Yep. Oh, so was I, yes, it's good. But I, one thing I was meant to ask you, how you do the old flails? I have the flail down there, and I thrashed with the flail. Did, Did you, you ever thrash with the flail? I thrashed with the arm, so I nearly killed myself for the old. You nearly killed yourself? Aye. Oh, well, you thrashed too hard. Thrashed too hard. Well, did you thrash with the second man? Was there two of you thrashing? Well, there was often two of us thrashing. Did you, know? you thrash on a, on a door on outside? On a door outside. Oh. See? I remember a mouse. One day I put down this safe, you know. Yes. Ah. And um, this mouse ran up onto the root, you see. Yes. I made the trap and I got to kill it. Yes. But however, anyway, it got away. Ah. I got the leg of my trousers. Right? The mouse did? The mouse. Whoa. It was a big one, do you know? A big mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I got a hold of the leg like that, you know. Yes. Ah. But I couldn't find it. I tried to find, you know, right round to see where I get the mouse. Yes. Damn me if I could get it, you know. But <laughs> the finish up, you were going up there on the hinge. You, and you got him killed? And I, I thought him before I let it go anyway. You were lucky uh, he didn't uh, kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and now, before we go any further, uh, we have Johnny Patterson here now. In, in, in your art gallery, <laughs> we might as well explain that you've yes, got an art uh, gallery here as well. Uh, that's Johnny Patterson's photograph now. And that photograph, his autograph is signed on the back of it. I have often saw his painting done in uh, the Folk Museum or in the museum in Sligo, and it's done by Yeats, but he's painted as a clown. He was the clown in the circus, and uh, he, he stayed, as I told you, in Bob McDonald's. And this man here, beside him here, Alan Tissel, who is, was a contractor and a big farmer, and he's a, a great historian, and he told me all these stories. 
and he has all the rhymes about the old farmers and men that worked with the farmers. And that, that's the market house there. That's a part of the market square there. You see, it's 1841 or something. I can't see it without my glasses. But that's the date and of it. There's an it old built. cross there as well, isn't there? Oh, there's a market cross there. And the market house was built uh, by... on uh, all those places were built by Lord Ayrton for... Uh, he was the local landlord. He was the landlord. And, and he spent a lot of money on those houses. And we had uh, the clock there, you see, uh, in the... In the in bar the there, it, it mm -hmm. fell down there, you see, you can see the photograph of it up here uh, on top of the market house. That was the market house there, beautiful stone building. And there was a tall man the name of Patterson from Derry Lynn who used to come here to all the fairs and he was six feet nine. I have a photograph of him on a paper. And when he was in the fair, everybody would have seen him, uh, the length of the town, you see. So they said that he was the only man that could hear that clock ticking. I think we could pass most of the pictures. It would take us all day to go around all yes. the pictures here, and ah. most of them are not specifically folk things, are they? Yes, yeah, well, well, come on in here. So we, we go inside now to, what do you call this part? This is, uh, this was called the old ballroom. When uh, this house first was pub and grocery and hardware and had undertaken and all, and uh, uh, this place here was used as what they call the ballroom. Now they call uh, a room uh, uh, attached to a pub, they call it a lounge. There was no such thing as lounges at that time. Uh, but uh, however they're christened, it's the ballroom. They possibly have wedding parties here, and they would have uh, uh, funeral parties here. And at the time of electioneering, uh, Tom Maguire was a nationalist. And uh, in the early years, this place here was the Ayrton Hotel, now, we have a ticket here somewhere uh, framed in the collection and it was uh, uh, marked Ayrton Hotel. It come out of this house in the early years. So when we come here, you see, we done away with the grocery and all like that. And I got to look down into this room one day and the ceiling here had fallen down. We had to put a new ceiling and the fireplace had fallen down. So I had a couple of men in the bar who was working on ancient monuments and they were working at the Maguire Castle, now called Castle Balfour castle and uh, they said that they would cut a fireplace and put it in here because I like to get something in memory of the stone cutters because in this area we had some lovely stone houses, the old market house there and all those places up there are very ancient they're all done by uh, the stone cutters and the churches and all and there was a lot of stone masons so they, those men now Kiwi McCormick and John McGrory, we call him Sonny McGrory, those men are gone now. So they have left something behind here which we are, we are very proud of. And they didn't charge us anything for doing the work. They've done all that labour themselves. So now Jimmy, this is a fairly big stone fireplace. Yes. Aye. Well, you call that a lentil, do you see, across two standards. That's what they would call it. And uh, Jimmy Gunn, who is uh, deceased also, was the local blacksmith. And when he saw them, he, uh, he had to give us a bit of a lift in with those stones. You see, they're very heavy. 
So uh, he brought them in here and helped them. So he said he'd make the crook. This is what they call the crook here. You see, the, the crook uh, hangs all the pots on there. And, uh, uh, of course, you had to have a light then about, about the crook. And uh, when uh, I was in the country, I called in different houses. And the first lamp that I would have seen, we called that lamp there the, the Dwinky lamp. Now, I collected a number of names for that lamp here. Some areas now, they call it uh, the Dillon, and someone called it uh, Funko because there was a, a smell of it, you see. <laughs> and uh, then, you see, we well, had the why, turf. Why would there be a smell, Pat? Well, the thing was that there was no globe on it, you see, and you only pushed a wee bit of a cloth down into it. Now, one it's day... It's really a sort of bottle... Is it just a jar with a, jar. a drop of oil in it? Now, that, that took place, you see, after, or it was the first lamp was taken uh, place, it was the first light come after the rush candles. You see, they had rush candles. We make them here, and we have a, a, what they call a calm here. That uh, calm was used for melting the grease, for making the rush candles, also for melting lead, for making the shot. And they had a story in the country, uh, I remember talking about money, uh, they talked a lot about money, about somebody having money when nobody had any. And how did they get it? Oh, they said, so they had a calm on the fire. They accused them of making money the same as they were making the, the, the rush candles. Now, <laughs> th there's a pig's bladder there, do you see? I hung it there near the fire to keep it dry and preserve it. Now, when we were kids, you see, we used to go round to the houses where they were killing the pigs and we'd get the pig's bladder and we'd blow it up and we'd get out into the middle of a field and we'd play a ball. It'd do you a good while, but if you got near a hedge, well, that was end of it. That's the goose's wing there, you see. And that was used for knocking down the cobwebs round the house and round the windows and all like that. And then you mentioned earlier on there that about the goose that uh, they used to save the goose seam, you see. Now, I still have goose seam in the house and anybody has a sore knee or a sore ankle. And there was a woman come home from America and she sprained her ankle and she was going away and I had to give her some of the goose seam for to bring away with her. And I had to let her back from her saying it made a powerful job of her. And there's some of the mud turf now. That's the oldest turf that we know of was mud turf because mud turf were made by hand. You see, in the early years you didn't have anything to make spades so you had to gather the cow claps in the, in the fields for to make fire and then you mixed up the mud with your hands and that's some of them yet. See the straws through it there? And uh, they were good heavy turf and uh, there's still people making them here. So that's for the oaten bread there. That's the griddle there for the oaten bread. They call it a bread hardener. But we have one in stone, you see. We have a stone on there before that. Now, you could put a stone up to the fire, but you couldn't put a stone on the fire. So that's the shape of the cake there. Now, when my mother used to make a cake at night on the on the bread hardener, you see, some of the kids used to come in and they'd start when it'd be near done and they'd take a wee nip off it, you see. Got it end up, and she'd have to make another cake. They'd eat the whole cake, and they wouldn't <laughs> yes. eat it for more. Yeah. Well, of course, you have other commoner garden kettles and. Well, we have the skillet yeah. pot. You see the wee skillet there? See, that's the skillet yes. there, and, and the, you call that the pot hooks there. And these are the tongs here. See, there's a good pair of strong tongs there. 
Now, the, the first pair of tongues we would have heard of in the country, they were called mudjins. Did you ever hear tell of mudjins, did you? No. No. well, mudjins were made from a bit of a sally rod, and it was twisted like a scallop, you see. And it bent here just the same, you see, and in two legs, and there was a pint on one end of it. So when uh, a turf would fall down, you'd stick the pint at the end of it and lift it back up on the fire. So uh, then, when there come a bit of tin or iron, you see, they bent a bit of a hoop, and it made the mudjins. So so you had tongs in the kitchen, you had mudgeons for the fire in the room. Those are the quiet stones there. And uh, they were uh, uh, come out of the town land called Drumluck that I was heard in. And they're dated 1715. And you can see some inscriptions there or signs on them. You see that rings there. Now, and we had Mr. Patterson in here from the museum in Armagh one time, and he wants to get that x-rayed for me, and he thought by those signs it was some message to the man's wife. This was the only explanation ever I got for it. And that's the old box iron now. And we have tally irons here at the fire also. I forgot to show you one of those. That's the tally iron there. And uh, that was used for tallying the bonnets. There was two inches of lace on the old lady's bonnet. And they put the hot poker into the tally iron and they bent it across there. The wife's mother, old Mrs. Clark, Lord Rester from Post, told me about seeing old Mrs. Beggin, an old woman, doing her bonnet on a Saturday night. And then she'd done her wee calls and she was... It's, it's really that, just yeah. a sort of twisted wire, is it, with a, a stand? Well, that is and, brass and, there. And that is brass. brass. That's top. a very fancy one. Well, the next iron here was a box iron, what they call a box iron, and they want a heater into it, they say. See, that, that the heater went in there. You put the heater in the fire, and then when the heater was hot, you, you put it into there. Then you had different... Uh, there's another one there we had there. And, and Mrs. MacDonald from way up the mountain gave it to me one time. And that was used for iron and colours now, for hard colours. And that it's iron, an oval shaped. An oval shaped. And she told me, it was her nephew that gave me that. And when she saw it, she started to cry. And I didn't know what was wrong. And she said that that iron, uh, iron colours were priests that was on the run in the olden times, in the Hamel days. So that's the story and why, why was it oval like that, Pat? Well, uh, it must be the round colours, you say. The, you know, the hard colour. The colour was very hard, you see. And Especially it, for hard colours. For hard colours. You know, the linen, linen was very hard in the olden times. That's another iron we have. That's the tailor's goose. And uh, they tell a story a about... A long, slim one. About the goose iron, you see. And uh, a tailor went in one time for to order a goose iron into the hardware shop. And he said... Uh, when he found out that it was cheap, he thought that he would uh, order another one, you see. So anyway, the fella put it down. But when he went to order it, he, he got mixed up and he couldn't order two goose, two gooses or two geese, you see. So he had to order one <laughs> and send on another one. Oh, I am a little tailor. I was born in Tyrone. I courted lovely Molly till I thought I had her one. She vowed for I to marry her, to that I'd ne'er agree. On ready to get shot of her, I rambled till her deal, ladly fall all the laddie, fall all the lee, ladly fall all the laddie, weren't she able enough for me? I met John Maguire, all right. Uh, John Maguire was on a programme with me one time. Uh, he was. Uh, 
from Adam C. And uh, uh, the morning that John Maguire was a burying, you see, and he was on his way to the church, you see, they were playing a record on, on Radio Erden uh, of John's. Uh, he was singing the morning that he was buried. So there were two men in this town, and uh, they were arguing about John being dead the next day. And the man says, I was at the funeral already. He says, you couldn't be at it. He says, I heard him singing. And he says, that morning, Radio Erden. <laughs> I was not long now at me work past one day, two or three, till me rousin' little Molly got there as well as me. She ne'er should her appearance when she heard I won a thread, but she hired with the lady for to be her waitin' maid, ladly fall out the laddie, fall out the lee, ladly fall out the laddie, wasn't she able enough for me? Of course, uh, uh, there was a lot of gun tailors in the dairy in the Lynn area, you see, and they told about this young fellow went to service time with the tailor, you see, so he only stayed a week. And someone said, what happened to you that you only stayed a week, you were to save your time? Ah, he says, I couldn't stand sitting, he says, you know, you have to sit with your <laughs> legs crossed. This That's the story told. There was a lot of gun tailors in Derry Lynn. Old Tommy Roke told a story about the tramp tailors here. You see, there was a family the name of Morrison's up the road here, and they used to take in these travelling men and give them a day's pay, you know, and give them a bit of work. So one morning, uh, there was three tailors coming uh, from the northern side of the town and three coming down the other side, so they all met at Morrison's, and there was a big plot of turnips to be thinned. So Morrison sent them down, and uh, they were very dressy wee men. You see, they wore uh, tailcoats and bowler hats, so that morning there were six tailors with bowler hats and uh, tailie coats, uh, tin and turnips at, at the Morrison's of the building. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you have some tall hats there too. We have a coachman's hat and that come out of the Derry Lynn area, a man that uh, used to drive uh, uh, the coach. And uh, Mr Tessel tells a story here about when the mail car went through this town, you see, on horses, and of course uh, they changed horses down here at the Wet's pub or McMahon's pub. It's McManus's bar now. And uh, that drove all the way to Dublin to get the boat. So you could post a letter in this town uh, on Monday and it was delivered in London the next day and you can't beat it yet. Now we have an old sewing machine uh, here too. That's a senior sewing machine. That was bought uh, 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 at an auction at Crumb for 10 shillings by the wife's mother. She sewed for all the family when she was wearing them that day. Uh, mm. And that, uh, a miniature putty uh, still A man here. the name of Matt Ingram who lived up at the Knox here. He made me that shortly before he died. And that was, uh, uh, showed you there where you put in the turf. That's the turf fire there. And you put the pot, that's the pot there, the pot still, you see. And that is the part there that you call the head. Well, now, when you were putting the head on the, on the pot, you see, you had to make up a paste, and that was made up from flour and some wool mixed to it, and they called that luton. Now, and that depended there on how it was made and tapped in there because that kept the steam from coming out. Now, if you let the steam come out between the pot and the head and it caught fire, when the whiskey started to come, the whole house would be burned. It was very dangerous. Yeah. Well, we have the real thing inside. We have the big Pat, big we might as well see the big one. Oh, we have the big one. Are you ready <laughs> to go? <laughs> ah. Now, this is, this is it. 
that's a big one there now, and, and that was found one time, that was seized on an island here in Loch Erton. And when we started this collection here, we had a man the name of Kyle, he was stationed down in the barrack at the time. Ah, he says, we have a still down yonder, he says, and you know, he says, we'll never use it. And I don't think he says, you'll ever use it either. And I must bring it up someday in the car. So they arrived at the door with it in the back of the police car. And when they got to the door, you can see where it's stands there in the side. Uh, uh, they couldn't get it in the door and I said for God's sake go round to the back and I'll get it in the window so you see we have a bigger window there than the door so we took the, the pattern still into the window and there it is now and it's safe and sound I see it marked 1896 that's 1896 well that's a long time ago oh, they're, they're is making... that authentic now the Ah, well, we put that date on it, just to keep the story alive, you know, about the patching. We have lots of stories about patching, you see. There was an old man, you see, made patching in, in the Derry Lynn area, you see, and when he got old, you see, he left things around, and the police come and they took it all away one day. So anyway, he used to go to Bundoran, and his daughter come home every year and brought him away to Bundoran on a holiday. So he met another old fellow every year, and they always talked about, well, what have we done at Christmas, you see? So anyway, they always made a wee drop. But anyway, after the police seized the, the worm and all, you see, they couldn't send him to jail because he was too old. So when the man asked him, did you do anything at Christmas, James? No, says he. Did you not see in the paper when I lost my licence, he says. <laughs> There's a boy in our country, he's proper but small. It's we Tommy Kelly as we do him call. It's him brews the cargill that exceeds them all. He can beat all the doctors from this to Fingal. If you're sick and we're ready to die, one glass of Tom's parking would raise your heart high. You could heave it up higher and near to your nose. It's an Irish man's toast and wherever he goes. You have a lot of crockery and delf here, Pat. We have crockery uh, jars, aye. Oh, we have old I, I don't know where and, and we have here, this is the old, one of the old ones here now, and that comes from Dublin, and that was found in Dublin, and that's a Newton Butler Creamery. Rich, fresh cream. Yes, that's the first creamery jar, and the first creamery was in Newton Butler, was the first yeah. creamery in Willow, Fermanagh. Willow Park Creamery, yes. says on it. Uh, they mm. didn't make butter, they exported cream, you see. So there was a friend of ours got one of those in Dublin and we had another one was found in Inishmoa. And you, you have a lot of the old um, crockery, crockery jars, jars from... Uh, from the Guinness, you see. That's right. Ah, they were, uh, before there was Ginger any beer. glass bottles. And there was an old publican in this town, they say, he was Thomas Adams. And uh, they tell the story about him. When they were changing over to the glass bottles, of course, the old people never approved of the change, you see. And someone said to him that, well, it was more hygienic, you see, the glass bottle for you see the daughter. And so he went mad when he heard that. So he broke one of his bottles to prove how clean it was. So mm -hmm. some funny fellas having them on said, ah, he says, sir, he says, see, it happened on one, he says, and a dozen anyway. So he broke a dozen of them to prove, you see. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ah. You had a, a twopenny glass there too. It's we outside, ha, it, it? It's, it's on the other dresser in the kitchen. And it was brought to me by Barney Brady. He come from Ahalane. 
and uh, some time before he died and he brought me a spore I have it in the other kitchen too, and it's a bone spore for fighting cocks and I showed it to all the cock fighters and not one of them ever seen or heard of a bone spore I can show it to you in the other kitchen that's one very old piece we have about the cock fighting none of them would have ever seen it wherever it come from and he brought me that on the glass and he went into the hospital and he didn't come out of it he was going to die there was a lot of cockfighting around this area, Pat. Uh, yes, there was a lot of cockfights now in, in the early years, and of course they were running about the border and all like that. And there was a story told about the cockfighters last year, you see. They were along the border one morning very early, you see. So some of the guards come along and they asked them, you see, they were after parking the cars. What were they doing up here at this hour of the morning, you see? And they all come from about here. There's a lot of cockfighters. And uh, one of the men spoke up and says, Oh, so we're on a charity walk. <laughs> oh, it's often noted brown red cock in Fodlam he did walk. He learned his bold exercise be carefully he was taught. That brought him down to Logan on the twelfth day of July. To fight against a piley cock that cheer would reach the sky. Oh, then up comes Jordan O'Riven, not and he stepped until the ring. Sin I'll make a pint for Kelly's cock, let him either lose or win. There was some now for to laugh at him, and some till on him frown. Sin he'll never want a pit again if he pits Porty down. This is the man they call the Poochers Horn. From he come from Timor and he led the Fermanagh dogs against the Calvin dogs in the challenge hunt and they painted them. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have two dogs out in the yard there now. Uh, <laughs> and we ran them for a fella over at Timor that I used to hunt along with, you see, a fella called Ben Cairns. He always leads the dogs out at Timor. Great old friend of mine. And he's he's hunting for the last fifty years, you know, and his father before him hunted. So it was a great area, everybody had a hound in that part of the country when I lived in, but now it's sort of fading out a wee bit. There's only a few of them left. Now, uh, you have some things connected with fishing too, nets and things like that. Uh, that's a lobster pot there. Uh, that comes from Donegal now. No, they don't use any any of those things about here. But I had a friend in Bondoran, and there's a small one made, a model there, a man called Johnny Daly. He was a great fisherman in his day, and he had a boat, a sea boat, and he used to fish for salmon, and he fished for lobsters. He made nets and all that, so he made that wee, uh, model for me there. There's, there's a, an implement over here, and it looks like a thing that used to be used for poaching, I think, Pat, this three-pronged... Uh, 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 that's an eel spear. Spear, uh, yes. Aye, uh, that was uh, Tommy O'Rourke here, a neighbour man of mine, a great musician, a man who was in the band here in 1912, still alive, and he uh, gave me that. There was a big, long shaft in that, so you went out into the rush and you, you dabbed it down, so the eels were fairly plentiful at that time. 
Well, I brought a, a deal spear here that was about the house, and uh, he has it in there too. And I How did you get the eel spear, Tom? I haven't the foggiest idea. I think it come from horror people here. From the missus? I, I think it was down... They lived down there in the, uh, the farmhouse down there, and the old man was a great fisherman, old father, wasn't he? He was, he was. And he had a whole lot of various, and to tell you the truth, he was more of a poacher than a fisherman. <laughs> I'd say it was used quite a lot for poaching, that type of spear. It would be sure, I'd say so, like, and uh, where eels would be, you know, and, uh, it wouldn't be too deep, it would be a boggy. Bottom in the lake, you know what I mean. As the eels peer way down into the mud, you know what. I, I never saw it used now. Well, what's a great man for collecting now, all right? Oh, yes. He's a good man in the shop, too. You not let anybody get too drunk. Mm. He thinks that much, if enough, and he lets him out to the loo. He's a great storyteller, too. He is, he is, he is. Did you ever hear him telling any stories? Oh, neither did. He didn't open his own hole there. See him dancing, see him dancing, him in the morning up the lane here, danced the trap dance on the, on the, rung the dish cloth. You ever see that done? No. That's <coughs> the towers, you know, and they kept swinging it round like that to him. St. Ronan's Hall here. John Leonard and him. And they done the trap dance. Something like that. He's a very versatile man. And then, what about the, what about the potstick dance? Doesn't he do that too? Potstick he do, does. He does. Yeah. That's pot with stick, the potstick on pot the ground. Da- it puts the potstick in on the one and out on the other and out like that. Play it to the music. exactly collect anything you see what we do we just wait somebody brings us in something we just don't ask anything because it's embarrassing to ask something and not get it and it's embarrassing the person that can't give it to you so you if they give it to you well and good and if they don't well you have to do without it but we have a fiddle there now and the man is a homemade fiddle a man the name of McCann who lived in Dramatia there's none of the family there now uh, living in in Dramatia, and uh, he made this fiddle uh, himself, and he gave it to a man by the name of Paddy Maguire to learn to fiddle. You see, so Paddy, when he was finished with, uh, he got another fiddle, so he handed it to me. So I had a son of McCann's in here. He was dead since, and he was very pleased that I had it. You know that it come back to a collection. Be there, it's there when he's gone. Well, there is a great musical tradition in Fermanagh, and there used to be lots of crossroads, dances, all that kind of thing. Yes, well, uh, the most uh, uh, of the dancing that I would have seen would have been on a bonfire night, now, on, on the place called Corathrasna or Dataly Bridge. And uh, <coughs> we used to go to this bonfire and we used to dance on the bridge, and of course, all the ones that had come would sit on the bridge, and there was an old woman. She was a Mrs. McAloon and she used to play an accordion. She used to come down and sit on the bridge and play an accordion and we always went to that. And of course with the sound on the river you could hear those hundred people there. And you'd have a powerful night, you know, lots of yells there and you dance the sets and all that type of old type. Irish dancing, four hand reels and everything like that. 
So it's very nice now. But uh, there was no dikes now or country. In the Rosty area now, they had dikes, you know. They're called dancing dikes. Uh, that went on now for... Till, till the war there, I think. Kettle drum come from that's the uh, belong to the drum lock band. Uh, that band finished up at Derry Lynn, and uh, 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 the the band started in drum lock. That's the the townland that I was born in. Would that be some time? Now, a man I met out in New Zealand was a, was a kettle drummer in that band, and he emigrated out there, he told me, in 1908. So he was a drummer in that band. Now, I have a band cap in there, uh, belonged to a man by the name of P. Gunn, who was also trained in the band. Now, they're all gone that was in that band. They're all dead now. P. Gunn would have been the last. I visited him before he died, and he was a great man for stories. And uh, he told me about being uh, in Enniskillen at a Land League meeting in 1918 and they got those band caps. That was for style and appearance, you know. That's the first time they had With band the harp cap. on the front. Ah, that's right. And so, there's obviously gold braid around it. It's yeah. It's tarnished so, now. That's right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, can you play anything on the... On the drum at all, Pat? Ah, no, well, I wasn't a drummer in the band <laughs> no. at all. No, you, you, you could rap it all right, you say. Uh, what about uh, this uh, boron, is it? Oh, uh, well, they call that a boron now, but that was what we called a weight, and that was used for cleaning the corn. You see, when, when you went out to clean the corn in the wind, you see, you brought the, uh, the weight out and you lifted it and you, you shook it this way, you see, so there was only sort of one row of grains coming down at a time. And there's the wooden riddle there, you see, that was for riddling the corn. So you riddled the straws out of it first and then you run it through the weight and then you had to bring it away to the kill head. And there's is the... The, the shovel for turning the corn on the killed head when you arrived there. Wooden shovel. Ah, you can see the face of it all born there. That come from Cassidy's Mill. Now, I was often up on the killed head at night because the kill man used to play cards with us and we used to go up there and we'd help to turn a cast. What they call a cast of corn was about nine inches of corn on the floor of the killed head so that you couldn't use a steel shovel on the steel head because you damaged it. You used wooden shovels and you'd have to take off your short when you get up there with the heat of it all day and the heat of the corn and you'd be very warm. So there was a man one evening from up the Beltorbert Road and he was down with a load of corn that you had dried. <coughs> it was during the last war years, you say. So when he went at the mill, uh, the kill man asked him, you'll have to help me offer to cast the corn and help me to put on one. It was getting late. So he did. So we had, he used to keep a big jar of port there, you see, in the kill. And some of the men coming down from the mountain, you see, used to bring him down an odd half pint of potion, you see. So the potion was hard to drink. So we threw the potion into the porter, you see. So we give a man, you see, the full of a mug of it after coming down hot with the heel head. He gets into the cart and he starts and he took the stick to the horse and the horse galloped home and he was on his knees in the bottom of the cart and you'd hear him for miles going up the road. <laughs> How exactly you assembled all the material you've got in this museum, Pat? 
Well, to start off with, the first thing that I got would have been a crockery jar. You see, I got a, a crockery jar, uh, one of the old uh, portal jars, from Frank Sheridan in the Juneman. He was out fishing, so he, he found this jar. And we were after getting the mirrors in in the shop there. So Frank brought in the jar and he says, maybe you put that on the shelf, you see. So I put it on the shelf anyway. So uh, my uh, uh, brother's wife, uh, Lord Rastus, she's dead now, she come in and she says, well, what's written on that jar? So I told her. You know, she says, I had a couple of jars there I dug in the garden and, and uh, I threw them in the ditch and I never looked at them. I must go back and take them, bring them up. So, of course, then I had three jars. So, uh, there was a fellow home from Canada here. He was John Gilroy. His brother, I have a photograph of him there. He's the vice president of the North Gate Mining Company. So, they were mining down at Taina at the time and he says, I'm going down there. God, he says, I must bring you up a bit of the mine. So he went down and he brought me up a piece of the silver mine from Taina. They were only boring at that. So there was an old man, he was J.B. McLennan, and he lived up in the mountain here too, near that uh, Kingsbury or somewhere. And he had an old sword, and he saw I had a wee collection in the corner of the shop there, and he brought in this. And uh, there was someone brought me in these wee spears then, uh, found them in the boxes in Auckland, and I had them down there. But I had them wee things in the shop before I got in the fireplace, you see. So, of course, then when we got in the fireplace and the crook, uh, everybody wanted to bring us a pot in the pan. And my sister brought me my granny's candlesticks. I have them in the front room now. And they were uh, used to, around the neighbours' houses at wakes. Now everybody got the land of everything and they were at uh, hundreds of wakes. And uh, I laid them at Christmas orders and put a couple of yams on them. So we had those pieces of lace now that's hung in the window there. was done by my granny. She lived through the famine, the stories of the famine told by her. And uh, she'd done them behind, and uh, my sister had them safe and brought them in. We cut them up and put them on the windows and put them on the tables. And then, of course, in 1965, we had only one room. And James Bice come in the area here, and he was looking for the stone outside of Dan Murphy's door and different things like that. So Mrs. Bart went across the street and says, I'm sure there's a collection over in Cassidy's there. Nine o'clock come, he knocked the front door, and I went to the door, and... It was James Bice. Never knew the man at all in my life, anything about him. He says, you have a collection. Oh, I was like, we have a room down here with things in it. So he comes through the hall down here, opens the, Oh, he says, I must come back with the cameras here. He says, then he done a story in the newsletter and he done a cartoon. And the traveller come in that evening. He says, God, he says, you have £500 worth of advertising in the newsletter this evening. So <laughs> who put that in? So he done a cartoon and all describing how I brought him in through the hall before the pub opened in the morning. And he come back here and he brought five of them here and he done stories on our straw helmet. And I told him all about going out and straw in the country at Christmas and we went to weddings. And the wedding was coming off and Daddy did and I knew about it. So he went over and he filmed the wedding. That has been repeated, that programme, different times. And we don't know if a wedding was thrown in that since. It was the usual thing for to go in straw. And you took out the bride and you danced on the threshold. You got a couple of pounds and you gave a party. And then uh, you invited the bride and groom. She was the guest. In the year 1819, in sweet July, when the leaves were green, there was a wedding held one day near to the town of Rossley. Of mountaineers, I do protest, there did assemble many a guest, 
and I was one amongst the rest. Such a rabble came from Cairn Moor, above eleven and twenty score, of rich and poor, of old and young, of lame and blind and deaf and dumb, collected there upon that day, all dressed up, gaudy, fine and gay. There was tinkers, barbers, brewers, bakers, cobblers, carpenters, and brogue makers, gunners, hatters, wheelwrights, tailors, whitesmiths, gunsmiths, blacksmiths, and nailers, bobbin tossers, millers, doctors, gale whistlers, tidy poeters, mudlarkers, nog and weavers, and bog trotters, staters and pavers, fifty set of sparable weavers, bism makers, butchers, cleavers, painters, Hacklers, cutlers, coachmen, footmen, cooks, and butchers. Beside to this assembly came a multitude I cannot name. With harps and pipes and fiddles too, they made a merry jovial crew. They all got seated round about ten dishes of cold cannon and stout, and at intervals they had at will sour buttermilk to drink their fill. That would take off without a lie the peer of a piper's eye. Delicious food was next brought in upon large vessels made of tin, lobsters, oysters and cow heels, mussels, cockles and fresh eels, trotters of sheep and half-boiled tripes, cranes and plovers, larks and snipes. For then fell to it every man there was bloody work when they began. Tripes and cow heels too to devour the dikes never saw before, or even been demolished. They now began to clear the tables everywhere. The broken fragments they threw down, thin bones and shells upon the ground, whilst dogs and cats stood gaping on, waiting and ready for their fall, and could devour them, great and small. Mm-hmm.